You did a great. You did a great job. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm not using the earpiece with my. I had a place taken off my ear, a, a cancer spot earlier in the week, and Cindy asked me earlier as I walked in um, before Sunday school. She said, "Well, have you gotten a lot of sympathy?" I said, I'm not working it hard enough, I guess. <laughs> and then as I was going out through greeting you guys, you know, so much sympathy. I got one person said, "Who pulled your earring out?" And then I had someone else say, did you get in a fight with Mike Tyson? What happened to you? So I, I love it. I pre, you know, we, we need to have fun. God's people need to have fun. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. <laughs> but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And I don't want to be a church full of dried up bones. So may we enjoy him. Um, we are in Daniel chapter 6. And, you know, there are some accounts in the Bible, some stories we're so familiar with, uh, those of us who have been in the church for a long time, you know, you say one word and you can fill in the blank. Uh, for example, help me with this, uh, Noah and the Noah and the ark, or Samson and, yeah, you guys got it, you're Bible scholars, David and, that's absolutely right, the patience of, yep. Sodom and and Daniel and that's a section of scripture we are at today. We're actually not going to be looking at the lion's den, but what led up to Daniel in the lion's den. And so turn me to Daniel chapter six, and we're going to look at the first sixteen verses of the chapter. And I'm going to ask when you find that to stand in our great God's honor as I read from the scriptures. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors have all agreed the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. 
Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree that put you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went to, as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account of your faithfulness and the account of the faithfulness of your servant, Daniel. May we learn from his integrity. He was not a man who just showed up for a worship service and acted godly and then left He was a man who was godly. And I thank you for that. And I I pray that you work in our hearts, Lord, that we will continue to become who you made us to be. People changed by the power of Christ. People who have you living within and are becoming more like the master. And I just pray you do a work. Speak through my weak attempt at words. And may the Holy Spirit be evident And may we leave here and say we're grateful for Jesus who has come for us to rescue us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And what is so difficult many times throughout the book of Daniel is he would end up in these terrible predicaments not for doing something that was evil, something that was wrong, something that deserved punishment, but for doing what was right, for being a godly man, for being righteous in his dealings. And he would end up in these situations of difficulty. And so is the case here. It's so difficult because, you know, inside our minds, we run by reason. You know, what's rational? If I do good, I'll be rewarded. If, If I do bad, then I have to pay a price. I'm going to be punished. But if I do what's right, I shouldn't be punished. And yet that's exactly what this godly man had to deal with. As as we see here in chapter 6, I want to go to the very end of chapter 5, which we examined last time we were together on Sunday morning. The last two verses. That night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of... Of 62. And so at this point, as we come to the scripture, there's a new king who is on the throne. His name is Darius, and he's not a Babylonian. He's a Medo Persian who came, as we looked at last time, as a prophecy was fulfilled, as a new kingdom, a new leadership was in charge, as was predicted by Daniel, that we read about in Daniel chapter 2. And as we discover this guy, it's interesting because in the prophecy we're told that an inferior government would take charge 
And we read about this in the first couple of verses. Uh, notice he, he talks about King Darius. It says he appointed 120 satraps. And, and we don't know for sure the details about this leadership. We don't have a lot of information about that. But we know that these 120 were appointed to rule throughout the kingdom. And then it speaks of three administrators. In some uh, translations, it says governors. And the scripture here gives a, a, others overseers. And these three had a job, and that was to keep the 120 in line. People are not all that different. You get a lot of politicians together, there's a chance for some corruption to occur. And there needed to be some kind of accountability. There needed to be somebody that the king totally trusted. And so there were three, described here in the NIV as administrators. Daniel was one of the three. And I want you to notice something about Daniel. He was not merely one of the three. He was the one who was trusted the most. Verse 3, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So the picture here is that God was working in Daniel's life not just specific times of the day, not just for seasons, but moment by moment. And it impacted the king. And as he looked around, as he looked at his leadership, he could see that he could trust Daniel. There was something different about Daniel, that he was a man of real integrity. And, and we're going to look at that this morning as uh, we speak about four areas of integrity with this man. Uh, by this time, as we mentioned last time, Daniel was probably in his 80s. He was a man who had walked with God for a long time as he had come to Babylon when he was a young teenager. Now he's in his 80s. Daniel is still walking with God. Daniel had stayed close all these years. Now, I just want to look at some qualities here, marks of integrity. You know, in our world, it's not what you know, but who you know that often gets you the promotion. But that's not how it works in God's economy. In God's economy, it's not who you know, but who you are. You see, God is making us into the image of His Son, we're told in Romans 8. That's the goal. That's the object. He wants you and I to look like Jesus. And so He's building within us character and integrity. And, and so let's, let's just look at these four. The first one is a good attitude. Daniel demonstrated a good attitude. He distinguished himself in that manner. You know, there's no mention in the book of Daniel of him complaining about any of the other leadership or the other two guys that served along with him, the other two administrators. You know, there could be some kind of complaining. There could be some criticism, negative. He doesn't mention that. It's amazing. As you look through the Daniel, the book of Daniel, you see a man who didn't spend a life in criticism, he spent a life on his knees. He spent, he, he spent his life in seeking God. And it, it's so easy uh, to have a bad attitude. And the truth of the matter is, it's also easy to spiritualize stuff. I mean, I could sit here and I could say, well, he was a spiritual man. And this is talking about his, he, he worked in his church. He was a man of God. But 
it's specifically talking about his day-to-day work as a leader in the government, as this administrator. And sometimes it's a lot harder to be the real thing, to walk in integrity when you're not surrounded by God's people. When you're in a place where it's easy to compromise. And, I, you know, I guess the question is, you know, uh, it's one thing to be excited about Jesus this morning, but what about tomorrow morning when you go to work? Whenever it is you enter that world where Christ is often not exalted and not lifted up and, and not the, the center. Um. I want to give you a quote here. from This is from one of John Maxwell's books called The Success Journey. He talked about the importance of a dream that's focused on a plan. And that's where a good attitude comes from. Listen to uh, Maxwell's words. He says, A dream without a positive attitude produces a daydreamer. A positive attitude without a dream produces a pleasant person who can't progress. A dream together with a positive attitude produces a person with unlimited possibilities and potential. Hey, that that's Daniel. Now, I want you to see the plan to knock Daniel off his perch by his uh, co-workers who evidently didn't have that same kind of attitude. They were looking for a way to uh, criticize and to uh, bring Daniel down from his position of leadership by attacking his integrity. First, I want you to look at the attempted allegations here. Verse 4, it says, The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So they sent out some spies. Can you imagine if they sent out spies to investigate you and what you're really like? If they really tried to dig up the dirt? what skeletons there might be or or what would be in the closet. But notice what we find out about Daniel. It says they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct. They were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. What a statement about him. In In other words, he wasn't corrupted by receiving some cash or receiving some kind of, you know, special benefits. And he also didn't neglect his job. He had a passion for his job, and he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was faithful. Uh, Second mark here, he was faithful in his work. Um, He was faithful to do his job, and and that's why the king saw him and, and wanted to appoint him as head, because he was a man he knew he could trust. He had a heart for the job and he had a heart for the people. And he put the two together. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? Sometimes they're kind of rare. As you look around and say, who's a guy that's the real thing? Who has real integrity? That I can believe, that I can trust, uh, that I'm confident is, is worthy. Well, anyway, this is Daniel. In verse 6, we see as they go on with their plan, it says, since they couldn't find anything wrong there, it says the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king. So they appealed to the king's ego, which was quite bloated, I'm sure. Uh, O King Darius, live forever. 
the role administrators, and it names them, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors, have all agreed the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree. Anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Well, second of all, this is a lie. I mean, after all, Daniel is one of those guys, right? So not everybody agreed. Daniel didn't know anything about this plan, this deception that was being used to trip him up. He didn't know about that. And so what is revealed, we see of Daniel, the next mark is integrity. and His integrity is purity. Look at the, the end of verse 4. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He was a guy who had a real walk. He cared about purity. He cared about the decisions he made. Will this please God? You see, we ask ourselves a question. Does this make God look good or does it just make me look good? And if the answer is it just makes me look good, it's not enough. The real question is, God, does this make you look good? And that was Daniel's heart. He wanted God to look good. And you can't always tell by just first observations. Sometimes it says in John... The book of John, he says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. John seven twenty four, I think. Sometimes we just, you know, mere appearances. And I heard a story about a couple that they came to pick up some chicken that they had ordered. And they left with a bag they thought was chicken. But when they got in the car and drove down the roadway, they opened up the bag and it was full of money. And so they came back and brought the money back. And the restaurant owner said, Wow. You're a person of character. And, and he was just overwhelmed. He said, what's your name? I, I want to give you some credit. I want to make some phone calls and put your name in the paper. And the guy said, oh, don't, don't do that. It's okay. Well, this is such a great act. I want, I want to give you credit. Said, no, don't do that. Why not? He said, because the woman I'm with is not my wife and I'm married. <laughs> you can't always tell it at a first observation. But over years, he's in his 80s. He's been in the kingdom. They've watched him. They've seen him day after day and year after year. And Daniel walked with God. They saw that in his life. The second aspect of this, it helps us see others clearly. When our lives are not right with God, we don't see clearly either. I read a story about a lady each morning. She'd get up and she'd look through the window and she'd see her neighbor hanging out her clothes and she said, to dry and uh, every few days. And she said, man. Those clothes are dirty. Doesn't she know how to wash clothes? And, and she kept saying that every time she'd look through there and see her putting the clothes on the line. They're, they're not clean. And so finally her husband got up one day and he cleaned the window. And she looked out the window and said, man, she's finally learned how to wash clothes. Now what happened? The window was clean and she could see clearly. When we get right with God, we see clearly. When we're not right with God, we don't see clearly. There is... Life of purity allows us to see as we should see and allows us to be seen as we should be seen. That's, that's part of God's plan. Um, then as we read on here, as he comes before the king, notice this uh, deception that's used to issue a decree. You've heard of uh, probably how when the... Uh, Medes and Persians, when it went before a king, it could not be altered, could not be changed. I mean, it was royal law. And that's what happened here. Verse 8, it says, King, issue the decree, put it in writing so it cannot be altered. 
So King Darius put the decree in writing. What was the decree? Well, up at verse 7, they asked him to enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, Daniel wasn't aware of any of this behind-the-scenes deception. He didn't do anything to deserve this. Look at verse 10. He says, When Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home shivering and hiding and shaking his knees. No. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. The circumstances didn't change Daniel. And and that's the last mark of integrity here. He had a consistent walk with God. His relationship with God was not affected by the climate of conditions. It was stable no matter the conditions. You know, I think it's worthwhile here to, uh, to mention that, you know, he didn't make any big show. People knew you know, they had sat back and said, we can't get any dirt on this guy. The only way to do it is to deal with his faith, with his relationship with God. That, that's, that's how um, we'll be able to uh, bring any charges against him. Verse 5, he says, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it's something that has to do with the law of his God. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, it scares me to death in this climate that we live in in our land with political correctness. There may be some issues down the road where we take a stand for what we believe is of God that's from His Word. And other people don't believe it, and we may pay a price for that. And and that's what happened here. There's this price. He didn't change. How did they know that He got up every day? How did they know He prayed three times a day? Because people watched Him do it. But he didn't like bang the door open. Hey, everybody, I'm praying. Come watch me. Come watch me get on my face before God and be holy and, and, and righteous. He didn't do any of that stuff. He just did it. You see, the Christian life, it's, it's not something that you promote and you bloat. It's something you live. You, you just get on your face before God and say, God, I'm weak, but you are strong. Help me. And that's what he did. And he did it once again. The needs were great, but he didn't change he went to the only place he could go to God. He went out on that rooftop and, and he prayed three times a day as he was in the principle of, of, of doing, the practice of doing. And he kneeled. I love this quote from Jim Elliott. Listen to this. God is on his throne and man is on his footstool and only kneeling distance is between. So, so we kneel down and say, God, Connect me to you, Lord. I need to hear from you. Uh, and a public arrest came as a result of this integrity. Charges were brought. Hey, he's not listening to you, king. You made this edict that you pray to no one but to the king, to no other gods, and Daniel's guilty of this. But notice how it affected the king. He loved Daniel. He didn't hate Daniel. I mean, obviously he was going to appoint him as head of the of the kingdom, but in verse 14, we read about this. Um, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He, he was looking for a loophole. He wanted to get Daniel out of that. 
He wanted to free him. He realized, man, I've been tricked. He didn't have any desire to to kill Daniel, to throw him in the lion's den. That, that wasn't in his heart. The godliest man in the kingdom ended up in the worst possible situation. Now, as I wrap this thing up, uh, just a couple of truths here. We're, we're done. First, uh, you will seldom get what you deserve from people. You will seldom get what you deserve from people. First, when things go good, you get too much praise. You may do a good job, but very seldom do you do it alone. There's other people that allow that to happen. So usually when you get praise, you get too much. And let's flip it around. When you get criticism, you usually get too much of that too. I remember reading one day about a guy that said, Man, I've had one of those days. You know, those days where some days you feel like the pigeon and some days you feel like the statue. You know. You get too much of both. Secondly, you'll always get what is best from God. It doesn't always appear that way. No, my opinion sometimes is God must be trying to hurt me because that hurts. But God's got a plan that we can't always see and, and, and that we don't always understand. And we just have to continue to be faithful until He reveals that. Often, um, what He's up to doesn't come in the package we expect or prefer, right? And it usually doesn't come in the timetable we like either. Usually it's delayed much longer. Remember Elijah when he was being faithful to God's call and and everybody was against him. And so they sent him out to this brook. And he was fed by the ravens. What a miracle of God. But then the brook dried up. It had been real easy for Elijah. God, what are you doing? The brook dried up and you're trying to kill me. God was just getting ready to build his faith. By showing him how he was going to take care of him in another way. Often that's what God's up to. He's not trying to kill you. He's at work, and you just can't see or understand it fully for the moment. God took care of Elijah. Daniel could handle the test because he had walked with God. He was still leaning upon God, and God was working. All right. uh, Character's not built in a moment. It's built through the moments of life. What's your walk like with God? Do you spend time with Him? I'm not here to, you know, give you a page of devotionals or where you should read in the Bible. I mean, there's it's helpful. But I'm really more about the heart. Do you want to know God? What, are you, have you set some time aside to approach Him, to, to read in the Scriptures? Abraham Lincoln... A former president wrote, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction I have nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that all about me seemed insufficient for the day. It is. We need God. We've always needed God. Why we think at times we don't is just a testimony of our sin. Let me close with a a scripture and, and an illustration. Um, this is from John six forty four. That just reminds us of how we need him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. You want to know God? 
You want to have a walk with the creator of all. The only way to do that is through Jesus. Jesus said, the father draws, but he draws to me. There, you know, I heard in the Greg Laurie simulcast that we saw last Sunday night. It was really good. But he said, all roads lead to God, but only one road leads to heaven. And, you know, as he explained that, he said, we're all on a timetable. We're going to die and we're going to meet our God. But the only way to heaven is through Jesus when we meet God. Because they're going to ask, is your name written in the book of life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? They're not going to ask about your detailed resume because it doesn't impress God. Uh, He goes on. um, It is written in the prophets. They will be taught by God. Everyone who's heard the Father and learned from Him comes to me. That's Jesus. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. And only he has seen the Father. The one from God is Jesus Christ. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes his eternal life, I am the bread of life. This is about Jesus Christ as the source of eternal life, as the source of heaven, as the source of forgiveness, as the source of life that matters, as the source of power that gives us strength day by day and moment by moment and ultimately leads us to heaven. It's a Jesus as I close, I want to say this about uh, prayer. A number of years ago, as God was moving through Africa, many of the African believers uh, would go out into the jungle and they had their places to pray. And they would beat a path literally to the places to pray. And it, so it was easy to spot when people hadn't been praying. And uh, their Christian brothers and sisters would approach them and say, Brother, sister, the grass grows on your path. You hadn't been going. You hadn't been walking out there. And, and my challenge to you and to me, let's not let the grass grow on the path. Let's pray. Lord, uh, God is good. He's good all the time. Sometimes we miss that. Thank you for Daniel's testimony. What a man. Thank you for these men and women and boys and girls here today. God, you call us. Daniel wasn't some super man. He was just a man that walked with God. And you, Father, want us to walk with you. And I pray this morning, as we've been talking about integrity, that you take a good look inside each of us by the Holy Spirit and that we would agree with you whatever you show us. Because you want us to look like Jesus. So what do you need to do about that, Lord? Have your work. It may be someone here for the first time needs to trust Jesus to enter into the kingdom and take that first step of the journey toward heaven. If so, uh, Father, bring that one to you. May that one just stop and pray in their own words, God, forgive me, I need you, I need Jesus, I need new life. The way to heaven. Maybe... There's been grass on the path. We've drifted from you. Father, it's time to beat down the path and head to you and run to you in prayer. And I pray this would be the time. This would be the moment as we have an altar to pray at, as we can come forward and share with your people what you're up to in our lives. Father, we just want you to be exalted. As I said earlier, our job is to make you look good. And so, Father, may the decisions made this morning make you look good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.